Years ago, I read a book called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. It's one of my favorite books, and in it, he shared the results of a study that has always stuck with me. I want to make sure I explain it correctly, so I'm going to read you a summary of the study that I found online written by Sam Thomas Davies. It reads, In 1965, a social psychologist called Howard Leventhal wanted to see if he could persuade a group of university students at Yale University to get a tetanus jab, which I assume is like a shot. He divided them up into several groups and gave all of them a seven-page booklet explaining the dangers of tetanus, the importance of inoculation, and the fact that the university was offering free tetanus jabs at the campus health center to anyone interested. The booklets came in several versions. Some of the students were given a high-fear version, which described tetanus in graphic terms and included color photographs of a child having a tetanus seizure. In the low-fear version, the language describing the risks of tetanus was toned down and the photographs were omitted. Leventhal wanted to know what impact the different booklets had on the subject's attitudes toward tetanus and their likelihood of getting a jab. The results, as you can imagine, were quite predictable. When they were given a questionnaire later, all the students appeared to be clued up about the dangers of tetanus. But those who were given the high-fear booklet were more convinced of the importance of jabs and were more likely to say that they were going to get inoculated. But when Leventhal looked at how many of the subjects actually went and got the jab, all of these differences vanished. One month after the experiment, almost none of the students had actually gone to the health center. Only a mere 3% had gotten inoculated. For some reason, the subjects had forgotten everything they had learned about the dangers of tetanus, and the lessons they had been taught had not been applied. When Gladwell redid Leventhal's experiment, he made one small change, and one that was enough to tip the vaccination rate up to 28%. The tipping point? He simply included a map of the campus with the university health building circled and the times the jabs were available. But here's where it gets interesting. Of the 28% who got inoculated, an equal number were from the high-fear and low-fear group. Let me pause here to interject my takeaway, which is that it wasn't the information about the dangers of tetanus that inspired students to get the inoculation, but rather something small, like including a map of the campus, that helped them take action on their knowledge and match their behavior with their beliefs. Davies explains that seldom is knowledge enough to overcome the inertia of starting. The reality is, knowledge is only as powerful as its application. He goes on to say, in order to schedule new behaviors into your routine, it's not enough to know you have to have them. You have to simplify and reduce the scope of the new behaviors as much as possible. Okay, so what does this have to do with you and your students? In today's episode, I'm going to share some trends I've observed about teachers' knowledge of strong and equitable instructional practices and simple things that support the implementation of these same teaching practices, i.e. the map of the campus that can help you take action on your knowledge and beliefs. Get ready because I'll share more on the other side of the intro. 
Allison, former middle school teacher and math coach on a mission to help educators create a positive classroom community and reach every learner, all while finding balance in their own lives. Since I've left the classroom, I've learned so much about equity in education, building classroom community, math instructional practices that increase accessibility and learning, mindfulness and self-care, and ways to maximize time and impact through focused work and prioritization. Through conversations with experienced educators, you'll gain new knowledge, insights and inspiration, and practical ideas to try in your own classroom. I'll also share my many lessons learned over the years with the hope that it will accelerate your learning curve as a teacher. If you're an educator who's working hard to accelerate your students' confidence and understanding in math, you're in the right place. I want to be your mindful math coach, so let's go ahead and jump right in. one more quick story for you before we really dive in. This one is a personal story that came to mind as I was thinking about how Gladwell's choice to include a map became the catalyst for students to visit the health center and get their tetanus jab. Here goes. It seems like no matter how much I commit to eating healthy, I am powerless when I know my kids' Halloween candy is sitting in the pantry. Well, at least up till this point I have been. But recently, I signed up for an app called Noom, which isn't just your average weight loss app. It's psychology-based, so it gets into the why behind an individual's eating habits. A couple of days ago, the app prompted me to think about when my well-intentioned plan might go awry, and then put a plan in place ahead of time by thinking about what was getting in the way of me making healthy choices, which is my craving for something sweet— and then find a simple alternative. So I did. I decided to freeze some grapes so that I could eat those when I inevitably crave a sweet treat instead of another handful of candy corn, my personal favorite. And guess what? It worked. Last night, I enjoyed a few frozen grapes and it satisfied my sweet tooth. Isn't that amazing? Something as simple as freezing some grapes ahead of time has helped me change my behavior. Gladwell's right again! All right, so let's talk about how this applies to you and your teaching. I have to admit I included two stories as part of an unusually long lead-up because I'm a little nervous to share this next part with you. I don't want to offend anyone, and I also don't want to be insensitive. And yes, I'm warning you that what I plan to say next might be difficult to hear for some teachers. First, I want to say that I know teaching is an extremely tough job. There are so many things you have to think about in a lesson, and I absolutely believe that every teacher is doing the best that he or she can. Let me repeat, teaching is hard, and I absolutely appreciate all that teachers do for our students. However. As your virtual coach, I also need to tell you the truth about my concerns about math instruction in our country, 
particularly in schools with a high percentage of brown and black students. Now, I'm sharing this based on trends that I've seen, and it may or may not apply to you directly. So please listen with an open mind and try to decide for yourself what applies to you and what doesn't. Okay, so here's the bottom line. When I talk to math teachers and ask them what their vision of strong and equitable math instruction looks like, their answers are very consistent. They give all the answers you'd expect, the right answers, if you will. They talk about getting kids to problem solve and think critically about math and engage in discussion and discourse. They mention reasoning and explaining and persevering. I'll bet that these are things that you would include in your own vision for your math class. Am I right? And it's a great starting point. It's wonderful that math educators, by and large, are aligned with the teaching practices NCTM has identified as most effective. It's great that we're aware how important the standards for mathematical practice are and that we want our classrooms to embody them. But here's the not-so-great news about a second trend I've noticed— which is that when I observe math classes, either by visiting classrooms, listening to audio recordings, or watching videos of math classes, rarely do I see these practices in action. Apart from a few videos online from sites like Inside Mathematics or the Teaching Channel, I'd venture to say that less than one out of every 10 math lessons I observe truly realizes this vision for strong math instruction. And honestly, one out of 10 might be generous. Now, if you're feeling defensive, let me remind you that I'm not here to judge. I'm not saying math teachers are bad or that you aren't a good teacher or that if I was still in the classroom, I'd knock it out of the park on a daily basis either. All I'm saying is that most of us do have a shared idea of what great math instruction looks like, and we articulate it in similar ways, and we believe that's what's best for our students and we want our classrooms to look like our vision, but for some reason we aren't always acting on this knowledge. Kind of like the students who knew the dangers of tetanus yet didn't get the jab. Do you see where I'm going with this now? So what is it that gets in the way of teachers realizing their vision for strong and equitable math instruction? What prevents us from making decisions in our everyday lessons that would create alignment between our actions and our beliefs? In my experience, the number one reason that is the number one barrier that I hear is that students have so much unfinished learning that it prevents teachers from planning and executing lessons that match their vision. And it makes sense. When students have skill gaps or conceptual gaps from previous grade levels, it can make it extremely difficult to facilitate a rigorous on-grade level lesson that includes problem solving, reasoning, and discussion. Why? Well, one reason is that we're often met with resistance from students. They might say they don't know how to do it, or they might not be willing to engage in the problem. I hear this all the time from teachers. You may see them putting their heads down, striking up a conversation with a friend, or simply refusing to put anything down on paper. With that kind of response, it's difficult to know what to do. 
Another reason is that, by and large, math curriculums do not embed ways to address unfinished learning from previous grades alongside the grade-level material. Most curriculums are written to align to the grade-level standards, and so scaffolding and spiraling and integrating content from prior grades is left up to the teacher, and it is no small feat to do this. So, given the challenge of unfinished learning and the reality of this challenging situation, here are the ways that I've seen teachers respond most often. The first approach is to pause grade-level instruction and spend some time reteaching material from prior grades with the hope that once students have mastered that, we can resume grade-level work and reconvene the rigorous and engaging lessons. The problem here is that we lose time on grade-level work, we rush to address the prerequisites, And by rushing, the instruction becomes highly procedural. And so then the result is that not only are we spending too much time teaching below grade level content, but for the most part, the lessons do not embody our vision of strong math instruction. The second approach is to continue on with grade level work and provide more support to students along the way. With this approach, teachers tend to move through content more slowly And they usually do a lot of modeling and step-by-step teaching. The logic goes like this. Since my students don't have the necessary prerequisite skills and understandings to figure this out for themselves, I'm going to break it down for them into manageable pieces. I'll teach them the steps to solve this problem so they'll have everything they need to be successful. And then they proceed to walk students through one problem after another, doing most of the thinking and explaining along the way. They think, my students are missing so much from earlier grades, what else is there to do? Now, again, the problem is that clearly this does not align with their vision for what they want their math class to be like. Okay, so now that I've clearly laid out the challenge, let's shift into solution mode. Recall the solutions from the examples I gave earlier. In the tetanus jab example, the simple solution was including a map. In my healthy eating example, the simple solution was freezing grapes. So now, given the situation you're in, likely a middle or high school math teacher, math coach, or math instructional leader, and you're teaching students with a lot of unfinished learning in math, You don't really have time to go back and teach all the prerequisite skills, nor do you believe that's the best approach. And you want your students to have the opportunity to problem solve, to discuss, to reason, to think critically, but the grade level material just seems so far beyond where they are. What can be your version of including a map or freezing some grapes? The key is that it must be something simple, something practical something effective. Rewriting an entire lesson does not fall into this category. Creating lessons from scratch doesn't meet the criteria either. It's just not sustainable in the long term. Today, I want to share one idea that I've found to be highly effective in helping teachers adapt their lessons to support students with unfinished learning. This is a proactive strategy that can help you increase access to the grade-level content by creating somewhat of an on-ramp into the lesson and use the instructional practices that you so highly value but can be so hard to implement. 
Ready to hear the one idea? It's instructional routines. Routines like notice and wonder or which one doesn't belong. Another popular one is number talks or math talks. And I even created one myself called Two Solutions. Instructional routines fit the bill. They are short and simple strategies you can fold into your existing lessons to help bridge the gap between students' current understanding and the grade-level content. They are easy to implement, can be as short as three to five minutes, and don't take a ton of extra planning. I believe instructional routines are the equivalent of the map that helps students get their tetanus jabs. They are the proactive strategy, like the frozen grapes, that you can use to get ahead of the temptation to walk students through a problem that appears to be over their heads. By asking students what they notice and wonder about a problem before you ask them to try solving it, you provide an opportunity for students to think and contribute. And as they share their answers, it helps fill in some of those missing pieces that might have made it tough to engage in the grade-level work. You can also use my two-solution strategy. By showing students two solutions and posing a discussion question, you can shift the thinking back to the students and allow them to explain the solution process instead of you walking them through the problem because you're afraid they won't be able to do it on their own. Now, I could go on and on about strategies we can use to increase access so that all students have entry into the problem, but I don't want this episode to be too long, and honestly, there's no way I can do these routines justice in a podcast episode. They're much easier to explain in writing or through video. And so, you're in luck. I've put together a resource for you where you can get more information about the four strategies I just named, Notice and Wonder, which one doesn't belong, math talks, and two solutions, along with six other effective strategies to bridge the gap to grade-level math. You can get them for free at www.mindfulmathcoach.com forward slash bundle, and there are two other bonus resources that come with the bundle, a planning guide and an asset-based language cheat sheet. Okay, So now for a little homework. First, if you haven't articulated your vision for strong instruction yet, I want you to carve out five or 10 minutes this week to jot some ideas down on paper. It doesn't need to be perfect. No one else is going to see it unless you decide to share it with them. And if you already have a vision written down somewhere, I encourage you to revisit it, reread it, and see if there's anything you want to add, remove, or reword. Second, if you haven't downloaded the Increase Access resource bundle, go and get that now. It will help you find simple ways to create a bridge to grade level content for your students with unfinished learning so that you can still use all of the strong teaching practices that you want to include on a day to day basis, but that can feel tough when students have so many gaps from previous grade levels. You can opt into the free resource bundle at www.mindfulmathcoach.com forward slash bundle. And of course, I'll include that link in the show notes, which you can find at mindfulmathcoach.com forward slash episode 27. 
In closing, I want to extend an invitation to you to join me on the journey to providing equitable math learning experiences and outcomes for students of color. If you enjoyed this episode and want to make sure you don't miss the next one, head over to mindfulmathcoach.com and sign up to receive weekly reminders for new episodes. You know, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, and oftentimes the math improvement journey and the journey toward a more equitable and just society can feel a thousand miles long. That's why I'm so glad we're on this mindful math journey together, and in particular, why I'm glad you've chosen to take a single step forward with me today by listening into this episode. Thanks for tuning in.